Welcome to the Frontline Herbalism Podcast with your host Nicole Rose from the Solidarity Apothecary. This is your place for all things plants and liberation. Let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the Frontline Herbalism Podcast. I'm sure you're hopefully aware by now, but if you're not, this is part of a series supporting the Medical Self-Defense Network, MSDN. So this is like a grassroots network of medics of different backgrounds, whether it's paramedics or doctors or people engaged in like herbalism and other grassroots healthcare work. And yeah, we're interviewing different people active in MSDN around the world. And so far we've interviewed um, someone called Collier who's talked about kind of the, like the origin story of MSDN as well as what they do and some of their political principles. And then the third episode was with um, Jill from a project called East Tennessee Harm Reduction. And yeah, we just dived into like what is harm reduction and, you know, what is the context of it within like this medical self-defense framework. And Jill is back again for this episode. So this one is all about responding to gunshot wounds. So Jill will introduce us, uh, introduce themselves but they are a paramedic and they do stop the bleed training and they've responded to gunshot wounds and yeah please don't take this as like any kind of oh I've listened to that and I'm going to be fine like what it is is we're talking about um, equipment people need where to access like high quality training high quality equipment some of the kind of principles you know like staying calm and and you know we talk a little bit about the political climate around gun violence and how yeah it's just increasing you know like now it is common that medics on demos in the so-called US will always prepare for that eventuality if that makes sense so yeah I think it's a really important episode and if just one person listens to this and invests in some gear and responds to a gunshot wound then that's incredible but yeah I'm sure you will learn something so yeah here is uh, Jill and I talking about responding to gunshot wounds. So hello again, Jill. Welcome back. Um, I hope lots of people listened to the previous episode, which if you haven't, was really amazing and inspiring. It was all about um, your work with harm reduction and just like, you know, practical things around that, political perspectives on it. It was, yeah, really literally gave me goosebumps. So thank you so much for that episode. And in case people didn't listen to it and they're just diving in here, I just wondered if you can introduce yourself, your pronouns and like any political affinities or projects you'd like to include? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that previous episode was awesome. I really enjoyed that time with you. Um, But my name's Jill. I use they, them pronouns. And I uh, run East Tennessee Harm Reduction. I am also involved with Mutual Aid Disaster Relief and several other uh, autonomous organizations usually involving healthcare or assisting people in accessing healthcare. And I'm based here in the so-called United States, um, in the Appalachian Southern region, and currently based in Eastern Tennessee. All right, amazing. And yeah, like for folks who who aren't familiar with like where you are um I just wondered if you could share a little bit about your context and like some of the challenges you're up against and also like this episode like we decided to focus it about um you know like responding to gunshot wounds so just to kind of dive like into that straight away like you know like how how common is this like where you are like what's the kind of context around um like gunshot wounds yeah absolutely and I think I'll just like 
mention my credentials to be even speaking on this subject a little bit, just because I think um, it's sort of important to like vet where you're getting your information. So I um, work as a paramedic. I hold certifications as a stop the bleed instructor. And, and I also have certifications as a um, IBSC international tactical responder, as well as a um, certificate in uh, tactical combat casualty care. Uh, I got all of those extra credentials through training in the um, modalities of care and algorithms necessary to treat gunshot wounds, as well as other traumatic injuries and penetrating trauma that one might experience um, in a combat setting here in Eastern Tennessee, especially the South, and really just across the United States, as we see an acceleration in uh, mass shootings, I'm really seeing the exact same injury patterns that I have trained to treat um, throughout these combat courses. Mass shootings here are frequent and daily occurrences. Even just in the town I live in, there's usually at least one shooting a day, if not more. Uh, I've been the lead first responder on multiple shootings so far this year. And I think as far as like what I'm seeing in the activist scene, I sort of started as a street medic um, probably five or six years ago and worked my way up to paramedic training. I'm now pursuing pre-med to be a emergency medicine physician. And I think when I was doing more street medic work, which I'm still doing, I would see people's medic kits contain things like Band-Aids, maybe gauze pads and like granola bars. Um, we're now seeing, and I think I have had a little part in this, um, just pushing this need um, and education out is I'm seeing more and more street medics carrying um, tea, tri tri excuse me, <laughs> tea triple C supplies, um, which include combat application tourniquets as well as chest seals. Um, occasionally I'll see people with needle decompression kits uh, and other pressure dressings and various supplies for treating gunshot wounds. Um, and I think that's great. I don't leave the house without an IFAC or at least um, a tourniquet in my pocket. Um, you just don't know, you know, sometimes you go to the gas station to get a soda and there's a shooting happening down the road. <laughs> I've had that happen multiple times where I wasn't able to drive down a street. I wanted to, you know, travel through because there was like an ongoing shooting situation or something happening. Um, so it's the armed violence here is like very, very much a frequent thing. Um, and I think it's very important for people to have the skills available to respond 
to a gunshot wound, especially because gunshot wounds can either be like very boring and easy to treat, or they can be very complicated and very bad situation. Um, and you need to treat them very quickly because calling for an ambulance really doesn't cut it when our healthcare system is collapsing. And sometimes it takes, you know, 20 minutes or more for an ambulance to arrive. Uh, and you can lose your entire blood volume in like two to three minutes. So having those skills is important. And then, um, Sadly, I've also built out my own curriculum for teaching these skills uh, to children because school shootings are so common here, especially like very young, like kindergarten age children are being shot. And yeah, I don't know. I've just had like parents reach out. I've had like 10 year olds reach out saying they want to take my Stop the Bleed courses, which I offer for free um, to groups or individuals. And I just saw that need in my community and I was like, this sucks, but like, yeah, I'll absolutely teach you to throw a tourniquet on one of your tiny friends. Like, yeah. So that's kind of where we're at right now. I mean, it's like super easy to get a gun. I'm a gun owner. Um, I think people, can have a lot of different views. It's a very like, uh, you know, strange conversations are being had around gun culture and all of this. But I think when you're in, you're from a marginalized community and the police are just like opening fire on people as well as right-wing extremists are gunning us down, like it's perfectly fine to be armed <laughs> and yeah very odd situation here in the so-called USA as usual. <laughs> I feel like when you're talking, you're it's like you're somehow like realizing like how screwed up it is somehow, even though you like deeply know that like in every cell in your body, it's like there's this like surprise of like, wow, I'm like literally teaching kids how to like save their friends who've been shot like super, yeah. super full on. Um so yeah it sounds like yeah it's really common and that you're like kind of vigilantly prepared um and yeah like I think lots of the listeners are probably living in contexts where that's just not a daily reality right like um but you know there's also like you know vast amounts of places in the world where it is a reality um and obviously like you know I'm sure we would both always encourage listeners to get like kind of in person like first aid and medical training with a really experienced like trusted instructor um but I do think like also people learn a lot from listening to things like podcasts or like self-educating on YouTube or whatever um you know from good sources but yeah I think lots of people are kind of like keen to know like the basics of like how they should respond um, and I just wondered, like, if you could give us a bit of an overview of, like, responding to gunshot wounds, like, in, you know, in as little or as much detail that you'd feel comfortable sharing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I can definitely do that. Um, just to do a, like, really quick overview of, like, the sort of extent of the injuries I've seen and just, like, a, I guess, general content warning. I'm going to be talking about, like, death and dying and really horrific injuries 
blood, uh, yeah, brains. I don't know. It gets a little awful, but we are capable of treating these things and dealing with them and healing from those experiences. Uh, so from my experience, I have treated self-inflicted gunshot wounds to the head, um, the face, and multiple ones to the arm, and one penetrating uh, chest gunshot wound. So that's been my experience. I haven't had any like lower extremity um, ones yet, but I'm sure I will. Uh, and so from my experience, like gunshot wounds can either be like very, very boring. And it's almost like besides the like, oh, you got shot. Like, that's not good. Um, they're kind, they can be kind of like chill and like a boring thing to treat, which is so weird because like one of my first times treating one, I was like, oh man, like someone got shot. I'm going to do all the crazy stuff I, or the wild stuff I learned, you know, in these classes. But like in actuality, the person was just kind of chilling and like, it wasn't actually like that big of a deal as far as like blood loss or like hemodynamic instability where like maybe your blood pressure is plummeting or there's like deep concern for, you know, rapid deterioration of your health status. He was just kind of like hanging out. And I was like, I like, we started just chit-chatting and I was like, you got shot. Like that sucks. We'll figure that out at the hospital. Like you're completely stable. Your vitals look great. I'm going to just put this like band-aid basically over your injury. And I put on a, um, just like a pretty basic bandage. It wasn't bleeding. I didn't see any signs of like massive, you know, internal bleeding or anything. Um, and we basically just talked about like the circumstances around the person getting shot and like what had caused it and keeping him talking helped keep that person calm. Um, and it also gave, like, I ended up actually just, like, tr teaching this person how to treat gunshot wounds on our way to, like, get higher care. And I think that was, like, a really wild moment because it wasn't this person's first time being shot. Um, half of the gunshot wounds I've, or almost half of the gunshot wounds I've treated the person who was shot, it wasn't even their first time, which I think just speaks to the level of like gun violence in this community. Uh, it's like, it's not their first rodeo <laughs> and that's wild. Um, Cause getting shot's not normal and it's becoming normal here. And that's really scary. <laughs> but as far as treating gunshot wounds, that kind of just goes over like, you know, cover the injury. If it's not bleeding, you don't need to really like freak out. Like if it's not in a, you know, the belly or somewhere where like, obviously it has hit something. Uh, this guy just had one like in his arm and it somehow was fine. But you really just want to think about, you know, ABC, airway, breathing, uh, circulation. So like, are they breathing? Great. 
but you really also just want to do like, I usually call it XABC, like extenuating, hemorrhaging. So controlling the bleeding first is the most important thing, whether that's through direct pressure um, or maybe you're like a little more prepared and you keep a combat application tourniquet, otherwise called a cat tourniquet on you. That's one of the only tourniquets I would recommend. There's a lot of knockoffs and fake ones. I shout out North American Rescue. That's where you should order it from. That way you know it's legit. Um, but yeah, stopping the bleeding, putting on that tourniquet if it's on an extremity, using direct pressure if it's not gushing blood, and just keeping that pressure on until higher care arrives because we really shouldn't be trying to treat gunshot wounds outside of the hospital. The, you know, end care for these injuries really is usually surgical. Uh, they're going to need a CT scan. They're going to need like to make sure they don't have internal bleeding. Uh, but sometimes it's like pretty easy. Like you just put on the tourniquet it's really mostly mental because you're, you know, usually coming into a hot environment. Maybe the person with the gun is like still in the area. It's certainly stressful. But as far as treating the injury, you want to stop the bleeding. You want to make sure the person's managing their airway and is able to breathe. And you want to just really limit that blood loss. Um, <laughs> as far as like, injury patterns and like what to be looking for um which like it is kind of hard to describe like in a podcast setting because it's so like visual to me but I think you want to you know have a tourniquet put it on someone's upper arm all the way up to the top of their shoulder or their lower extremity, you can go all the way up to the like inguinal area, like sort of where you have your little thigh brows, you know? Um, and otherwise, you're really just trying to stop the bleeding with direct pressure, or maybe if you have a sucking chest wound where like someone got maybe shot in the chest and it's like kind of bubbling blood, uh, that's not good get that wound covered up immediately, like with your hand, with a Doritos bag, like it really doesn't matter. Just occlude that injury so that air is not continuing to go into that chest um, and like thoracic cavity and collapse the person's lungs potentially. Uh, and what else? What does occlude mean for people who don't oh, know? Yeah. yeah. Um, a clue just means to sort of like cover or to like stop, like maybe like stop up an entrance. So if like there was, you know, a tissue box, like if there's like the hole on the top, if you place your hand on top of that hole, you're like occluding it. Thank you for asking for clarification. Yeah, I think most of like, for me, most of the like gunshot wounds have just really been like sort of mental gymnastics to like make sure like I'm checking all those big boxes like the bleeding is controlled they're managing their airway fine without my intervention like they don't need me to give them rescue breaths they don't need me to use maybe uh something more fancy that you know an ambulance would have and 
yeah, just being able to get that person to higher care. I think when we're in like protest settings and maybe someone's been, you know, shot, unfortunately, there tends to be a lot of like valid panic. And I think just having, you know, running with a partner or a a medic buddy or something and making sure that you're one of you is able to treat the patient while one of you is able to calm the crowd or at least keep people or maybe police or other other reactionaries away from the provider and the patient or whoever's providing care to them is important. Um, That's been one issue is like people on scene sort of like freaking out, which is like, it's fine to freak out when people are getting shot. Like, I think that's normal and like should be encouraged, (laughs) but also like maybe don't do it like right here because I'm trying to like get this person to not bleed out. So like freak out somewhere else. Um, but freaking out is okay and valid. And I think just reminding ourselves that like, I'm trying to think of how to describe all of this to like maybe a listener who isn't from this country or like maybe is somewhere where like guns aren't super prevalent. Cause here, if you go to the grocery store, like you're definitely going to see someone like with a gun on their belt or something, you know, like everyone here is armed, uh, But when I lived in Romania, like, I remember this guy got stabbed and there was like a national day of mourning that like something so violent had happened. And I just remember thinking that was so wild because like, we will have like 30 school children die here and it will like not even really be that big a deal like a week later. (laughs) And people were like, so just like, tormented by the act of violence that occurred in Romania that it just made me feel like so wild about what happens here in the U.S. and how we just like don't aren't even allowed to have time to grieve that violence because something even worse happens like an hour later. Um, Yeah or just like the the level of like nervous system hypervigilance of like knowing that someone could get shot at any moment you know like it's absolutely and and in terms of gunshot wounds like I think you're right like about people just like swinging from extremes of like okay am I going to respond to this and there's just going to be like blood everywhere like and then it just being like a scratch like but like so for example, um, we responded to a gunshot wound uh, in the refugee camp in Dunkirk um, the month before last. And like, very fortunately, there was no level of like catastrophic bleeding. Like it looked like I'm not qualified to like assess a wound, if that makes sense. Like I could use my first responder training to kind of keep him calm and call the ambulance and things, but you know, who refused to come into the camp. So we had to kind of like move him ourselves, which was like quite distressing. Um, But like, yeah, like looking at the wound, it kind of just looked like a graze or something like it just, but I I always wondered, like, it made me feel like, right, I really need to like up my training game. Cause you know, we're mostly dealing with like coughs and colds, right? Um, But like how you've mentioned the importance of, of, you know, like accessing higher care, but like, how do you know in that moment that like, he's not bleeding from anywhere else or there's not like gnarly like internal bleeding or do you just not know that that stuff's going on unless someone's in hospital um 
I think like I saw a few weeks ago a very similar injury to what you're describing where the person had like um, graze injuries on their arms. Um, and they almost looked like defensive sort of injuries from where maybe the person was like blocking, like trying to block someone with a gun or something um, from like hitting their face because of the way the bullet grazed across their arm. And I was like, this could honestly like just go to like a little outpatient clinic. <laughs> like it really just wasn't that bad. But also it's like, I need, like I got that person immediately like booty naked, like all their clothes off in the back of the truck because I don't know if they, you know, got shot elsewhere. Like maybe they have, you know, somewhere else they've, people tend to forget to look in the armpits and like people will, if they reach for the weapon while someone's about to shoot them, like they'll get shot in the armpit. Um, so it's like, you still have to, you know, always be thinking like, there's another shot somewhere, like I'm missing something. And I think going through those cycles of like, what else is there? Like, like trying to find, you know, all the clues to this mystery. Um, and having access to higher care is so important, but I think there's also nuance in treatment because if you're in like an austere setting, you know, like some of the MSDN folks who are treating injuries in Ukraine, I'm, I can't imagine what their evacuation times are in some of these settings, you know, where the golden hour, which is sort of like this older ideology of like getting someone to a surgery capable hospital within an hour of, you know, a combat style injury is the most ideal gold standard of care. Like that just goes out the window in austere settings and like war zones. But I've also witnessed that sort of go out the window here, like in a, in the civilian population where our hospitals are just completely screwed <laughs> like especially after you know the poor response to covid we've seen in the us like we are just so understaffed our ems systems are crumbling like you might not be able to get to higher care in a quick amount of time so i think that just kind of circles back to the need for like people to seek out this sort of higher first aid training because you really are Unfortunately, at least in the US and I'm sure elsewhere, um, you are like your own first responder. And even the people we're supposed to be able to call, like they might not show up for a minute. Um, and if you're at, especially at a protest setting, um, you know, during Charlottesville, like there were people being shot at and like the cops did nothing. EMS did nothing. It took very, like a very long time once that car hit for ambulances to be able to respond. So the street medics, you know, were like caring for everyone to the best of their abilities, even though some of them were also injured. So like, that was a really big moment for me to be like, we have to learn these skills. So I've just been trying to teach people as much as possible. And I think treating gunshot wounds is something we can learn to do. And we absolutely should not have to learn this, but 
that's not where we're at right now, at least where I am. Um, and let's see, maybe you have some good questions about like what people might, what skills or like what questions might be helpful to answer around these sorts of injuries. Sure. I mean, what you were saying actually made me think of an example um in the uk like there was a bombing in this like arena where there was like some kind of pop concert on in manchester and there was like loads of like catastrophic bleeds and there was a paramedic in there who just was like there with his teenage daughter or something and he just like i don't think he had even any kit on him but he just like stripped off like everyone's belts and like handbag things and just like literally just like tourniquet like everyone left right and center and he like I think he was responsible for saving like 70 people's lives or something like just from knowing that kind of information and I know like after the um 7-7 bombings like in London like they wouldn't let the paramedics like enter the underground stations because they couldn't obviously like keep them safe um and they just decided like the better strategy is just to like train people like just like the general public in yeah like stop the bleed training even though I don't think that's like particularly been effective because it's like been under-resourced and like loads of people haven't had training but um I met a doctor in Palestine and yeah that was what they were doing they've trained like 150,000 people in like responding to gunshot wounds um because they were like tired of people being paralyzed and things from being moved um like inappropriately or like you know dying from bleeding and things um but yeah like I guess like my questions in that respect are like like a like where do you think people should like seek the training if that makes sense like is it adequate to do some kind of online course does it have to be in person like what kind of standard should someone be aiming for um and then the other question is really like you know, what kind of kits do people need, right? Like you mentioned um, giving out more things and like the IFAC and maybe we can talk about what's in one of those. Um, but yeah, so I guess the questions I've got, because, you know, we can't dive into like loads of gunshot specifics, but are just kind of like, yeah, where can people get the skills and like what gear do people need? Um, Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think getting training from people who are qualified to teach is so important. Like this is my um, gatekeep girl boss section. <laughs> like, I think it's awesome to self-teach um, through YouTube and other trainings. When I was an EMT, like I was, is when I started teaching Stop the Bleed. And I had not at that point treated a gunshot wound. And the experience of like treating my first gunshot wounds made me realize just like so much about the differences in doing these trainings where you know you get you get to print out a certificate from online versus like maybe an in-person training where you are using mannequins um and practicing skills like applying tourniquets or chest seals on each other um and sort of um inducing these like acute stress scenarios where 
you're going to sort of be able to stimulate what it's like to arrive on scene of a shooting or what it's like to maybe see your friend screaming. Like those sort of things that you face in an actual emergency are very important to being able to provide care in those moments. And so I think like as much as possible, training in person is so helpful. And then don't just like go to the training and then like you're good. Like practice those skills. Like I used to be such a dork and I would like take a pillow and like run into the room and pretend like the pillow had been shot. <laughs> like I think. Oh my God, it's so cute. <laughs> Like I low-key kind of still do stuff like that. Like I'll be at the grocery store and I'll be like, okay, like three people just got shot. Like, how am I going to treat like this? And then the poor cashier is standing there, like trying to check out my groceries while I'm like zoned out thinking about that. But, oh my God, I totally thought that was just me. Like, and I don't even live somewhere where people get shot, but I'm always like planning emergency scenarios in my head. Yes, And now and like, with the herbal medicine training I'm now also looking at everyone's body being like oh like they've got this constitution and they'd really benefit from this plant and you just can't switch it off can you once it's in your brain um it's so hard to like not pathologize everything but there's so much pathology everywhere it's like oh like that's that's uh definitely congestive heart failure like they should be on Lasix or like whatever but yeah I think like it is not good for your mental health to do that and I acknowledge that but also it does make you better equipped in an emergency setting to respond so like I wouldn't recommend doing like you and me do if you're just like someone who has doesn't have the like need or desire to like be in these situations frequently like maybe you're not the person that needs to like break your brain a little bit doing constant like trauma scenarios but if you are someone who like calls yourself a street medic and you <coughs> pardon me um and you do go to like protests or you do want to fill that role in the future um yeah like terrible advice don't listen to me i think you should do that i think you should think about these things think about what it will feel like to see your friend get shot and think about how you will take care of them. Like, I know that is so terrible to say. I truly believe it's important to think about these things because then when you're in the moment and it's literally the worst day of your life, you don't become a patient yourself by freaking out. And if you do, it's absolutely okay and it's fine. But you can, I think, like build those neural like neuroplasticity like your brain is a very powerful tool and i think working through these situations that maybe your mentor in a training mentioned like keep building on that think about awful stuff <laughs> and it does help because then when it, it happens and you're responding it's not so scary and it allows you to feel more confident in the care you're providing. And it helps you calm down and ground yourself in those moments so that at the end of the day, when you're able to like 
leave the side of the person that you've cared so deeply for for the last few hours or whatever, and you're able to hand over care to like the doctor or you know what however the situation ends, you're able to walk away holding a slightly less trauma, I think, because you've trained for this moment and you don't have to be asking yourself questions like, what could I have done differently and judging yourself because you did the best. And no matter what, like you responded to something that you shouldn't have had to respond to because this sort of violence isn't normal and it's not okay, and we shouldn't have to be like treating people's gunshot wounds because we shouldn't be getting shot. But I think that's probably my number one advice, honestly, is like get in-person training from, if you're in the US solo uh, wilderness first aid training, super awesome. I did my first aid wilderness cert through them. Stop the Bleed is great. local fire departments and um, other organizations and EMS often offer TCCC. They're usually like in-house and private, but before I was an EMT, I was able to attend those trainings just by asking if I could. Um, I'm a Stop the Bleed instructor. If you reach out to East Tennessee Harm Reduction, I'm super happy to meet with people either via Zoom or if you're in the US, I can come in person. Uh, and do trainings totally free. Uh, and then as far as I think supplies and like IFACs, I think it's really important. I think people should have them. Can and, you share what IFAC stands for as well? Is that okay? Yeah. Not who don't know? Thank you. Um, yeah, so an IFAC is an individual first aid kit. So this might be like I think there's been like so much around IFACs in the last few years. They've become pretty trendy, which like it's good because people need to be carrying medical supplies here. Um, but like you don't have to get like one of these hundred dollar fancy bags. Like just I just throw stuff in my like tote bag. Like when shit hits the fan, like it doesn't matter if you have a cool like ninety dollar Gucci IFAC bag. Like I my favorite bag on my ambulance is literally like the plastic Ziploc bag that one of my IFAC bags came in because I can see all my supplies. I can just grab what I need and like I'm good and you can wipe blood off it. Like you just broken some hearts there though, right? Of like no. <laughs> all the like prepper types that like love all the gear and the fancy bags. Um, and like no shade. Like I've got the <laughs> bag. Like I get it. I'm a crow girly. Like I know, but also trash bags and Ziplocs are like the best bags. (laughs) Um, But as far as supplies, I think if I was going to build out, which I do, um, IFACs for people, what I put in them is a combat application tourniquet from North American Rescue. Um, They're usually 22 to like 30-ish dollars. That's an investment in your friend's life. Do not buy knockoffs. Don't buy rat tourniquets or recon or any stretch uh, wrap tuck like SWAT tourniquets. Don't buy this garbage. Buy us like something that you would want to have used on yourself in an emergency. Um, Because 
you don't want a tourniquet to break when you need it. You know, you want it to do its job because that's what it needs to do in that moment. Um, so definitely get a good tourniquet. Learn how to use it. Get one to like train with if you can afford it. Um, otherwise, don't train with the one you buy because you'll loosen up the windlass and stuff. But get a good tourniquet. Prep medic on YouTube. Um, he's like a tactical paramedic, but he has very good evidence-based information and recommendations around medical supplies and training. Uh, other supplies I recommend are chest seals. These are to treat those um, injuries to the thoracic cavity. So where your lungs are under your you know, rib cage, that area, maybe a little bit lower, like where your diaphragm is, but really you're only sort of focusing on where your lungs would be. Uh, chest seals are like big square stickers. You want to get vented ones um, so that the blood's able to drip out and not cause more pressure. But those are great. They're usually like 10 to 14 US dollars. Get a twin pack. That means there's two. That's so you can cover up the entrance wound and the exit wound. Another item I would recommend is a pressure dressing. This can be like a, a fabric roll which you can help like hold down some gauze. You can get a fancier one for like $3, again, from North American Rescue. I'm just going to keep shouting them out because they're my favorite supplier for like really good equipment at fair prices that is like very well researched. And um, we need like an affiliate link or something. Yeah, I'm always like, <laughs> Send me free stuff. Um, yeah, they are just a great company. I would recommend their emergency trauma dressings. Uh, and that's just going to help, you know, stop that bleeding. Maybe someone's bleeding, but they don't need a tourniquet because it's not arterial. It's not like they're bleeding out, but they are bleeding a lot. So we want to stop that bleeding. Maybe we can use a pressure dressing. Um, wound packing gauze is just a few bucks from them as well. Uh, you can get fancier, like hemostatic impregnated gauze, which means it's like mixed with agents that help stop the bleeding. Um, you can get like cheetah sand gauze, uh, one common like street medic myth is sometimes that like, Cheetos sand could cause anaphylactic reactions if someone's allergic to shellfish, but that's been disproven because it's just such a teeny, teeny amount. It really doesn't, it's not any threat at all. Um, but those are a little more expensive, but you really can just get the like $2 gauze. It's fine. I mean, it works. It's great. Shove it in the gunshot wound hole and then you're, you know, you're good because you didn't get shot, but the other person <laughs> is not so good, but at least now they're not bleeding so much. Um, and those are really my big, you know, major things that you need to have. Also like trauma shears, which are just a few bucks. If you want to get basic ones, they can go up to like a hundred if you want raptor shears. I have raptors and I have the $2 ones. There's like literally no difference. They work great. Uh, if someone's been shot, get them naked 
to make sure they didn't get shot elsewhere. Uh, if you're able to, roll them over, make sure they don't have any exit wounds, check their head, make sure there's nothing wild. Um, Because, yeah, gunshot wounds are weird. You just always expect something big and scary, and sometimes it's not. And then there's like a secret bullet hiding behind someone's ear. Uh, Let's see. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. What? Yeah, what's your um, perspective on, on kind of like moving people, like in general, who've been shot, like from different levels of the spectrum? Um. For my patient who had been shot in the head, I moved him. I was like, his airway is absolutely more important. I'm not gonna, I'm not really risking an increase in like him having a spinal injury just by moving him at this point because he's already been like, you know, shot in the head. Maybe the neck, I don't know, I haven't been able to assess him yet. His best chance for survival is me rapidly getting him into a space where I can fully assess him. Uh, And so really the only times I use full like spinal immobilization and like C-spine and worry about all of that is um, the mechanism of injury, right? So like if someone jumps off a bridge, they get to have a C-collar for sure. If someone's been like shot and like we know there's maybe spinal involvement. I'm not going to be the one that like further messes up their spine that much because they've already had such a large mechanism of injury. So if I have the luxury of time, we could absolutely try and like move them with grace and like very calmly and carefully, but I'm not going to use a backboard or anything like that because the data has been showing that they can be more harmful and actually aid in hypothermia forming and also can actually cause more harm than good in like a physiological um, sense. So that's- Wow, I would love to read that research. Um, yeah. Because that's-, that's drilled that's, into us. <laughs> yeah, like that, that was the situation like in the- refugee camp is like the paramedics are not allowed to come into the camp but you know they'll have like 50 cops there with guns and it's like some refugees like about five six years ago had been shot in one of the food queues and um volunteers knew that the ambulances wouldn't come to where they were but so they took them in cars and then i think like two or three of the guys like um became like paralyzed but like you said it was from the shooting not necessarily the moving but it's created like this massive culture of fear around moving anyone um and obviously like the refugees like they know that the ambulance won't come like the paramedics won't come down so they're kind of putting a lot of pressure on you to move like lots of people were like shouting at me like saying we had to move this guy but like the bleed wasn't like it wasn't like catastrophic like I said you know I'd done a full survey of him like I was confident he was okay and I was waiting for the paramedics to tell me that they wouldn't get him because then it's like it's not on me like I'm not you know like I'm you know literally like doing like foot care for like fungal feet and stuff right like I'm okay like I'm prepped for different scenarios but yeah I think 
it made us think like should we get like some kind of board that we could have in the van because you know we all carried him like with blankets like me and like 12 Kurdish guys and it just felt like very dehumanizing for him because he was in a lot of pain it was in it wasn't quite his hip but it was like yeah it was just like something about like the dignity of the blanket which was upsetting but I was quite worried clinically about am I going to be like screwing this guy up if that makes sense um yeah that's so valid because also we're like taught that because I mean even in my like education people are like ah the spine it's a spine like it's strong it it lasts our whole life like it's good it's pretty hard to break it or like you know sever the cord or anything and so there's just so much that's been taught around like we have to do all these things no matter what protect it it's really difficult to like actually further an injury if it's already occurred um because they're they're pretty much already like going to have an issue um especially if you're trying to get them to higher care uh if it's really just also context based like you know if this person's been shot in the hip in a way that's like did the bullet come out in their like lower back like their lumbar spine area or did the bullet is it just in there and we don't know or you know what's like the context around the injury but even then it's sort of like what what's the risk involved of maybe someone getting so upset that we're not moving that further injury comes to the patient by staying because i i definitely feel you on that because people do get like quite upset on scene when you're moving slowly and sometimes something i say a lot is like fast is fast is uh or slow is fast and fast is slow so like you don't want to be rushing through care and i think you saying we can just stay here for a minute and like fully assess this person is great and then we'll move him um i routinely use blankets to move people because i think it supports their weight in a way that's like much more comfortable than a backboard um i got a backboard for our little like clinical space and when i was using my truck as a more of like a little ambulance for the encampments and i never used it because it would just cause people so many issues being like immobilized and being on that hard surface um especially if you're thinking about shock and you know, the ways that shock progresses, anything that's cooler than body temperature is going to aid in hypothermia forming when there's been blood loss. Um, And so a backboard can become an issue in that sense. But I think, yeah, I'd be happy to share some of the like, uh, education and stuff around like not using those and like not needing to be so worried about it because I do think it's like not shared enough. And just from having like witnessed so many like bad car wrecks and stuff where we didn't immobilize um, and then seeing positive outcomes, I think it's definitely like true that it's not something we have to be so frightened of. 
Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think I'll listen back through this recording and I'll try and put like links in the show notes so that people can like more easily check some of this stuff out. Um, and just like from a like trauma PTSD perspective, like it, it being immobilized, like is one of like the main trauma dynamics. So it's okay. kind of interesting. Yeah, it's just really, yeah, I'm really, I'm really um, stoked that we've been talking about this, even though, like you said, it's a really horrific thing to accept that it's happening all the time. Um, so, yeah, we, we're coming up to an hour and I just wondered, like, if there's anything else you'd like to share about um, responding to gunshot wounds like I think you've gone over like some of the like really essential basics you've talked about where people should get training and doing scenarios and some of the kit stuff that people should have so yeah I think people will take like loads away from this but is there yeah is there anything else you feel like we've missed um I think just for people to sort of like assess their capacities for running as like a street medic or their capacity for being like well prepared for these scenarios because I think it's just so important to know what your limits are and what sorts of like tactics can you provide in these scenarios to render care and I think it I think people sometimes at least in the circles I'm in like they feel pressure to have street medic skills or to have like, you know, other skills that maybe they're not like really equipped for. And I think knowing what you're good at and knowing what you're interested in or passionate about goes such a long way because when you're, you are in those high stress scenarios, it, it does show and it does help to know like, I could treat this injury, but oh, if someone had something wrong with their eyeball, like, oh, no way. Um, and just like sort of thinking about like everything. Um, and then always having someone you can reach out to after, like maybe you, maybe you did have to treat your friend or maybe you did have to treat a stranger who now you feel so close to because you rendered this care, but now they're gone because they're at the hospital and you don't have a way to contact them. And having a friend or someone close that you trust to talk about these experiences with is very important and sort of debriefing them and always remembering not to critique yourself because there's always going to be something that could be done differently or better. There's always room for improvement. You have to trust yourself that you did the absolute best you could in that moment and that you prioritized the care and the autonomy and the love that you have for humanity through caring for this person and don't beat yourself up about you know oh I didn't put the tourniquet on tight enough or blah 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 like no you did great and you deserve rest because whatever just happened sucked and I'm sorry you had to deal with it <laughs> and just always remember that you did a great job because we shouldn't have to do this in the first place yeah for real and I always think about this in terms of like nervous system stuff that people don't realize like how much of our responses are just like kind of autonomic right like they, they're automatic like they're not necessarily in our conscious control and like they're reproducing like all kinds of dynamics like if someone freezes for example in a situation they can really like put themselves down about it but it's like hey like that's how your body has like 
trained itself to survive like you're not going to turn off that response like super easily and that's why you know like the scenarios and stuff and the practice are like really important in terms of like developing those muscles right of like you know like yeah responding to those situations and I think weirdly the nice thing about like medical stuff I think is like if people have been through like traumatic shit as kids it's like I feel like it's or not even just as kids but as adults as well it's kind of like actually we've got an application for our like you know like our hyper responsibility and our ability to be like calm and like unflustered in like very like violent situations that like you know like I think my time working in like um care with like um like very kind of severely autistic adults who were very kind of violent like they were like going through puberty and developing like mechanisms and stuff so there was a lot of like biting and hitting and grabbing and um and then I was in prison and then you know that was on top of this kind of like childhood with a lot of like fear and men and stuff like this so it's like but now I'm like oh hey this is like a gift like because now I can be in Calais and I'm like not scared you know like I'm on top of it I'm like vigilant I'm like scanning the horizon like I know what's going on here I know what's going on here and I think like yeah for me like medic stuff's like kind of like great as a vocation because you're just like putting that like socialized talent into use does that make any sense sorry for the random curveball at the end but I love a curveball I think that's <laughs> so true and I think like that's one of the little silver linings in being like witnessing this sort of oppression and these, you know, violent incidences and like experiencing prison and working with people who, you know, can't control their anger or their emotion or they're internally frustrated. So now they've hit you, but you're still trying to render care. And I think that's the silver lining is that we can now kind of be a little bit calm when most people aren't understandably being calm and we're able to bring a little bit of grounding to those moments yeah for sure and I wish you went on the other side of the world because I bet you'd be an amazing person to buddy with like I want to so bad (laughs) I come to France and we can just run around and do all the foot baths and the treatments and it'll be amazing yeah for real for real um cool well thank you like again for like your generous time and all your experience and yeah like even if just like one person listens to this and goes and buys some kit that can save someone's life somewhere that's like amazing um so yeah just thank you like so much again and um yeah we're going to be talking about some of these themes on some of the other episodes that are coming up um but yeah I kind of think this stuff's like really important in terms of like medical self-defense right and taking care of ourselves at the extreme end of the spectrum in terms of gunshots but um like you said it's a very like normal reality where you are and that's why it's kind of like essential part of um self-defense um so yeah thank you so much thank you so much this was so great all right and I will end the call and it will like do its thing and then I'll download it and edit it and stuff and um oh thank you so much that was another awesome interview I hope you can have some rest now yeah 
This has just been so amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Frontline Herbalism podcast. You can find the transcripts, the links, all the resources from the show at solidarityapothecary.org forward slash podcast.